Lori and Chad Daybell are known for keeping a lot of secrets. Secret affairs, secret burial of Tylee and JJ, secret phones, ceilings, societies, emails, location, secret, secret, secret. There's another secret that's been found, an even bigger secret. One that could show that there was a plan in place for people to die and that the people who died since July 2019 were deliberate and intentional right down to the very dates. One could even say premeditated. After all, Lori and Chad were on a mission and the second coming of Christ was coming. But before I go further, please hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell. Also, give this video a like, share it the heck out of it where you can, and comment your thoughts on this. It's a biggie. Now, let's get into it. In the last few years, there have been at least six deaths so far in Lori's wake that we know of, whether Lori was directly involved or not. Joseph Ryan, his biological child, Tylee Ryan, Charles Vallow, his biological grandnephew, JJ Vallow, and later adopted son, Chad's wife, Tammy Daybell, and Lori's brother, Alex Cox. We also can't forget the unsuccessful attempt at killing Brandon Boudreaux, the husband at the time of Lori's niece, Melanie. Authorities have looked into several of these deaths and cited Joseph Ryan as dying from natural causes. Same with Alex Cox. Tammy Daybell was first cited as natural causes, but as we know, there's an investigation as to what the cause of death may be. We're still waiting on those results. It hasn't been made public yet. However, I started to think about Lori's case and the people and the dates surrounding it. Truth be told, I was actually watching a Netflix movie called The Zodiac, and at the end of the movie, it talked about the killer, and he said that it was his birthday. It prompted me to think about Lori's birthday, and I wondered about everybody else's. So, just out of curiosity, I checked it out and did a little digging. I found a little pattern, and then what happened next led me to something very, very interesting, odd, and chilling. It actually gave me goosebumps. So before I show that pattern, I need to show Lori and Chad's previous actions, which will support this new pattern. Number one, Lori uses the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants like a manual. Now, besides the fact that Lori is very religious, she does seem to live her life through these pages and its teachings. And I've said this long before, but she seems to use it like a textbook of sorts, except she twists and manipulates it to actually fit her own narrative and helps her live her own secret life. For example, in an audio clip that was released not long ago, she referred to the Doctrine and Covenants when it came to killing or wanting to kill Joseph Ryan. That was in October of 2018. Also in October of 2018 was Chad's Dark and Light rubric, or as I call it, the hit list. In the audio, she refers to the book and says that it's right there in the book. She says that I can murder him because it says, if you come at me once, twice, etc. I was going to murder him. I was going to kill him, like the scriptures say, like Nephi killed him, just to stop the pain and to stop him coming after me and to stop him coming after my children. And I was just, I just thought I couldn't take it anymore. And I would go through the scriptures and find all the things, like if he comes against you once, if he comes against you twice, if he comes against you three times, then you can kill him. It says it in the scriptures. And I'm like, there it is. There's my answer. I don't want to do anything that's wrong. I did not have a murderous heart. I just wanted to stop the bleeding and stop the pain. Now, the passage in the Doctrine and Covenants says, 
And if he trespass against thee and repent not the first time, nevertheless thou shalt forgive him. And if he trespass against thee the second time and repent not, nevertheless thou shalt forgive him. And if he trespass against thee the third time and repent not, thou shalt also forgive him. But if he trespass against thee the fourth time, thou shalt not forgive him, but shalt bring these testimonies before the Lord. And they shall not be blotted out until he repent and reward thee fourfold in all things wherewith he has trespassed against thee. And if he do this, thou shalt forgive him with all thine heart. And if he do not this, I the Lord will avenge thee of thine enemy an hundredfold. And upon his children and upon his children's children of all of them that hate me unto the third and fourth generation. But if the children shall repent or the children's children and turn to the Lord their God with all their hearts and with all their might, mind and strength and restore fourfold for all their trespasses wherewith they have trespassed or wherewith their fathers have trespassed or their father's fathers, then thine indignation shall be turned away. And vengeance shall no more come upon them, saith the Lord thy God, and their trespass shall never be brought any more as a testimony before the Lord against them. Amen. There's a few things to note in here. Lori took this excerpt as a go-ahead that she could in fact kill Joseph Ryan, her third husband. Because in her mind, Joseph kept coming after her and she forgave him, so to speak, the first three times, but not the fourth. So it now gives her permission. Also notable... Joseph Ryan already died six months prior to this recording, but she omits this information to her fellow listeners. Also notable, the line where it says, also upon his children's children, Joseph's child obviously didn't repent in Lori's eyes. Joseph's child, Tylee Ryan, met her fate and was killed and dismembered. And I'm also going to note, Charles also came at Lori, according to Lori, and he had three strikes. You're out. Also notable, Charles's biological grandnephew and later adopted son was J.J. Vallow. He also met his fate. It's quite the adapted manual. Now, Lori also refers to the scriptures on the phone with Melanie Gibb. She talks about having to go hide in the cavity of a rock. Notable at this time as well, Lori and Chad were sitting on a beach in Hawaii. They fleed from the welfare check on November 26th in Idaho. This call was made on December 8th. Did Alma turn himself into King Noah? What did, was he required to do? Well, King Noah was incredibly wicked. Yes. And so he, he fled his, his evil ways, which was, which was adultery and, and right, living riotously and breaking all the commandments. Right. So what, did he, what was he required to do, Alma? He had to go and flee so that he would um, be safe and then help other people realize how, you know, jacked up the system was and the government was. What about Moroni? What was he required to do at the end? To to carry on those plates and bury them. That was what his did he have to do to do that? What did he have to do to do that? Did well, he hide? He had to hide. He had to hide. So Alma had to flee to be safe. Moroni had to carry the plates and bury them. That was his responsibility, and to do that, he had to hide. Now, the plates were gold and had writings from the prophets on them. In 1820, Joseph Smith prayed one night as to which church he should join. He was 15 years old. It was said that God and Jesus Christ came to visit him while he was praying and made him a prophet. A few years later, Angel Moroni visited Joseph and told him about the plates being buried on a hill. Joseph retrieved them and then translated them into what's now called Book of Mormon. 
He retrieved them on September 22nd. And in the introduction of the Book of Mormon, it says, The Book of Mormon was the most correct of any book on earth and the keystone of our religion, and a man would get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. They had the attic because they were so, um, oh. they were so, um, everybody was killing everybody in the society. Everybody was dying. They were killing all the neighborhoods. And the scriptures had to hide in the cavity of a rock by day and go out by night. The, prophet, the prophets. The prophets did. They did. Yeah. Notable, Melanie in this clip uses the word society. She said, everybody was killing everybody in this society. Everybody was dying. Which brings it back to a secret combination. She's even mentioned that in other times. And Melanie even mentions to Lori and Chad that they've been deceived by Satan. Melanie calls Lori Korahor, and Lori and Melanie actually have had conversations about Chad, and Lori saying if Chad's Satan, he sure is a good one. In this next clip, in the phone call, Lori responds to Melanie. This scripture is just something that may be thoughtful for you. For behold, this is Doctrine and Covenants section 3, verse 7 and 8. It says, For behold, you should not have feared man more than God. Although men set not the counsels of God and despise his words, yet you should have been faithful, and he would have extended his arm and supported you against all the fiery darts of the adversary. He would have been with you in every trouble. So when we work with the Lord and are obedient, he has, he's going to protect us from adversarial darts and all kinds of negativity. But when we open the door to Satan, he comes in, and then he attacks, and then he takes away to make it look like, Somebody else took it away, but that's not how God works. He doesn't work in darkness. I agree with you 100%. And that's what the Lord is doing for me. Exactly what he's doing for me. Well, it just, it just, it just we have not weird. opened the door for darkness now. Darkness is knocking on the door all the time because that's the way dark works with the light. And I promise you... I have done nothing wrong in this case, but sometimes you have to hide in the cavity of a rock for your own life safety. And that's what the Lord requires of you sometimes. And that's how it is. And I'm sorry that's how it is because there is a lot of darkness on the earth. So Lori believes she's the light and darkness is all around her. Chad's rubric also says so. And Chad and Lori are part of a secret society, not a cult in their mind. In a previous video and probably one of the most important videos that I've done on Lori and Chad is one on secret societies, also known as secret combinations, as I mentioned. And a secret combination is defined as a term that describes a malignant secret society of people bound together by oaths to carry out the evil purposes of the group. Secret combinations were first discussed in the Book of Mormon, which was published in 1830 by Joseph Smith. Lori and Chad have all the makings of being part of and leading the secret combination or secret society. A secret combination is also known to be part of a bigger plan to murder, steal, and gain power, and usually with impunity. And impunity is defined as exemption from punishment or freedom from the injurious consequences of an action. And what we see quite often with these guys is getting away with a whole heck of a lot. There is also secret pacts within these societies and plans, as I mentioned. Often these societies have secret code, secret words, and secret signs. That cannot be ignored. If we look at their plans, Chad planned the seven missions to accomplish together. He gave the dark and light rubric. There was also secret emails, one of which I believe was a plan and a plot to kill Charles Vallow and how they were going to do it, bat included. 
They've also had secret conversations, secret logins, burner phones, and don't forget Chad's secret portal. Gaining power is also part of the society. It's known that Lori and Chad believe that their assignment was to lead the 144,000. And gaining power is also in the knowledge that they believe that they can get away with it. Hence the smirks. As for the packs, even Alex mentioned to Melanie Gibb, I can't believe Lori threw you under the bus like that. You don't throw anybody under the bus, especially when you have a pact. And in an interview with Melanie Gibb, she said, I just got to experience something at a very different level. I got to see something what I would call secret combination unfold in front of me and I got to see it with my own eyes. Now I didn't see people die or anything like that, but I got to see the workings of it. This is what this is. She also talks about the doctrine and says, and then you have this doctrine that comes in that's not affiliated with any Christianity that I've ever read of. And it's not doctrine that comes from Jesus Christ. It's doctrine that comes from the adversary. When you go to church in the temple, there are certain questions they ask you to see if your belief system is consistent with the doctrine and they were inconsistent, meaning Lori and Chad. Melanie Gibb also states that there are things that Lori and Chad talked about that wouldn't be a normal conversation in the LDS community. She said they were conversations that you would most likely have in private. And of course there was the secret temple sealing. Chad and Lori were sealed in the temple as Keith Morrison put it, a do-it-yourself ceiling. Notable this was while Chad was still married to Tammy. All kinds of no-nos. Now symbolism is also quite prominent for Chad and Lori as well. Symbols, numbers, times, and possibly now dates. We see Lori and Chad buy really simple $30 rings made of malachite. Now there's been a lot of talk about malachite and how it's poisonous, which is true. But the symbolism behind the ring is malachite is a stone of balance, abundance, manifestation, and intention. An extremely powerful metaphysical stone, malachite is often called the stone of transformation and is used for deep energy cleaning, bringing healing, and positive transformation to the wearer. And as a side note, perhaps it also wards off any other future zombies. Also in the Book of Mormon, during its translation, Joseph Smith used a seer stone to translate the book. So maybe these rings are also symbolic because Lori and Chad had to translate records according to the seven missions to accomplish together. Something to think about. So much of Chad and Lori's life are lived through symbolism. And over time, we really start seeing these little bits of patterns developing, even though it's crazy from our point of view. It is giving us a look though at their beliefs, their habits, their motivations and intentions. So let's get back to the six people that have died in that short amount of time. And also taking into account the one attempt made on Brandon Boudreaux's life. We'll begin at the point where it prompted me to go look at their birthdays. Lori Vallow Daybell's birthday, she was born June 26, 1973. Chad Daybell, August 11, 1968. Joseph Ryan, November 27, 1958, died April 3, 2018. Charles Vallow, August 17, 1956, died July 11, 2019. Brandon Boudreaux, born June 26, 1989. Note, Lori and Brandon have the same exact birthdays, just a different year. The attempt was made on him on October 2, 2019. Alex Cox, January 18, 1968, died December 12, 2019. Tammy Daybell, born May 4, 1970, she died on October 19, 2019. Tylee Ryan, born September 24, 2002, died September 9, 2019. JJ Vallow, born May 25, 2012, and died September 23, 2019. 
Now, the last two with JJ and Tylee, I believe they were killed in the middle of the night. I mentioned this in one of my previous videos talking about Satan's hour or the witching hour, and I have more to add on that in a moment. People have patterns, and there could be more to this than we think. And if they are using dark and light rubrics and secret emails while being part of a secret society, then perhaps there's more secrets and ones that we don't know about. It's fair to say. Something under the surface, as secrets usually are. So I laid out my papers and began looking for some sort of correlation. I found that with all the men except for JJ, a similar pattern came up, and also with the women as well, but a separate pattern from the men. Now, bear with me because at first you're gonna wonder what the heck I'm talking about, but once I'm finished with this and reveal what I found, it just might make you think, and it might make you rewind this and watch this video again. And at this point, nothing is crazy when it comes to Lori and Chad, and nothing is crazy in the eyes of Lori and Chad. After all, her own children were found buried in a pet cemetery on Chad's property while she lied and kept it a secret. Where are the kids, Lori, right? So when I looked into these dates and the dates of when these people died, I wondered why that specific day? We know that Alex wasn't working when he was living in Idaho. Neither was Lori, and well, neither was Chad. If you call pretending to write while you're having an affair with Lori, but that's another video. So all of these three had quite a bit of time so why those days? So the pattern I found was in the numbers of the date that they actually died and the date of their birthday. Charles Vallow was born on the 17th. He died on the 11th, a difference of six. Brandon Boudreau was born on the 26th. An attempt made on his life was on the 2nd. On a calendar, it's a difference of six days. He was obviously supposed to die the day that he was shot at, but the bullet missed his head by inches. Alex Cox, born on the 18th, died on the 12th, difference of six. Total differences, six, six, six. This is nothing yet. Joseph Ryan is what I call a wild card because the timing wasn't around the same time that all the others had died. He died in 2018, but stay tuned for what I found out in that. Notable, just a quick calculation. It's also technically a factor of six. Now let's go to the women. I found a factor of 15. Tammy Daybell, born on the 4th, died on the 19th, difference of 15. Tylee Ryan, born on the 24th, died on the 9th, difference of 15. And JJ is also a wild card. As I said, he doesn't match the men, but it could potentially be explained. He was born on the 25th and died on the 23rd, but it's the 23rd that's important. The 22nd was when JJ was carried into the home by Alex on his shoulder, and on the 23rd is when I believe he actually died with it being the witching hour. Now, Tammy's grandmother, Lucille, who is deceased and has been known to visit Chad on the 23rd of September every single year, according to Chad, and she tells him what to do. Chad said Lucille visited him one time to tell Tammy to stop playing computer games and to start working on their family history. Perhaps Chad told Lori that day that Lucille came to him and they had to kill the zombie but also September 21st and 22nd are notable dates. The 21st was the emergence of the plates from its hiding place. These are the plates that we know as the Book of Mormon. That's when Angel Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith, told him that he had work to do and that would involve translating these plates. And on the 22nd, Joseph went to the hill and tried to take the plates out, but it was apparently forbidden by Moroni and told him to come back later. Then when he came back, Moroni gave him the plates and gave him something called an Urim and Thummim, 
which are instruments used for receiving revelation and also translating languages. The emergence of the Book of Mormon from its hiding place began on September 21st, 1823. That night, the angel Moroni appeared to a young Joseph Smith told him that God had a work for him to do. That work would involve translating a book deposited, written upon gold plates, given an account of the former inhabitants of this continent, what we know today as the Book of Mormon. The next day on September 22nd, Joseph went to the hill and made an attempt to take the plates out, but was forbidden by Moroni, who reminded him that the time for bringing them forth had not yet arrived. Joseph would have to wait until four years from that time, but was to come to that place precisely in one year from that time, and to return each year until the time should come for obtaining the plates. There are discrepancies, however. Some say that this actually happened on September 23rd. It's said that this date is now associated with Joseph meeting Moroni. Interesting, isn't it? It reads, the official LDS account states that Smith was visited by the angel Moroni on September 23rd, 1823, yet in his 1832 diary, Smith claims this event took place on September 22nd, 1822. And to be even more confusing, Oliver Cowdery wrote in 1834 that September 23rd, 1823 was the date for the first vision, a date that is now associated with Smith meeting the angel Moroni. In fact, Cowdery never insinuated or stated that Smith had ever had an earlier vision before this. He also said that Smith was in his 17th year, not his 15th year. Okay, back to the numbers. So I have six and 15 as a group. Six for the men, 15 for the women. And I ask, why the heck is this so important to them? And it is a calendar, so I think 6, 15, June 15. Why is that so important? I go to good old Google and I start typing in June 15th, Mormon religion. I snoop around some sites and find a few things. Ready? The first thing that popped up and not the last thing was about Joseph Smith. He actually lost a child on this day, but what caught my eye was actually this. June 15, 1844. Joseph Smith was at home examining Benjamin West's painting, Death on the Pale Horse, which had been in his reading room for three days. The painting called Death on the Pale Horse was created by Benjamin West. It's based on the book of Revelation 6, 8, where the four horsemen of the apocalypse Death, war, family, and pestilence ravaged the earth. The pale horse is identified as death. And in Revelation, it says, the title of this painting is taken from the final book of the Bible, the Revelation of St. John and the Divine, which has been often interpreted as a symbolic description of warfare. And I looked, and behold a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. In another source, I found this. The word pale is the Greek word for green. This is the ashen look of dead bodies without blood. And what is another name for the ashen look of dead bodies without blood? Zombies. Also noted that day were times. Here's what Joseph Smith recorded. On June 15, 1844, Joseph Smith recorded in his journal that the steamboat made of Iowa come down the river about 2 or 3 o'clock while I was examining Benjamin West's painting of Death on the Pale Horse, which has been exhibiting in my reading room for three days. Remember I mentioned the times of the witching hour? That's at 3 o'clock. And here it mentions the time about 2 or 3 o'clock. And you know what's interesting? Alex collapsed just after 3 p.m. And the blessing came from Chad just after 3 p.m. Tammy died, according to the coroner, around 2 a.m. 
it was an estimation. I do believe Tylee died at around 3 a.m. Why? According to Alex's pings, he left his place to Lori's at 2.42 a.m., stayed for a couple hours, and then went back to his place, and then later that morning went to Chad's property. I do believe that the same fate happened with JJ. Hopefully we'll get more insight into that. The outliers, however, are Charles's time of death, which was in the morning, and the attempt made on Brandon Boudreau, also in the morning, but notable around the same time. So stay tuned for that. Remember earlier in the video I talked about the factor of six, the difference with Charles, Alex, and Brandon, and together there's 666? Well, it mentions the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast in Revelation. Coincidence? Not here it's a crime. We know Lori likes to refer to the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants and use it seemingly like a manual. This actually reminds me of killers who use movies as inspirations to kill. Like Luca Magnata. That's a huge case and you can actually see it on Netflix on Don't F With Cats. Luca loved the movie Basic Instinct and online sleuths actually figured out the connection to his horrific crime. He based a lot of what he did during the murder on that movie. And I do believe Lori and Chad have spun their own plan based on the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants so far. We have more work to do, more digging, more connecting dots. Lori and Chad are known for symbolism. They are known for making things and making their rules up as they go along. They're known for their secrets and their lies, people dying all around them. This explains the connections, the dates, and why they chose the dates they did. It's all part of June 15th, the day that Joseph Smith was looking at a painting that signifies death. And as I said, end of days. This explains why they called them zombies in dark, why they chose the number six, why they chose the number 15. And this also explains why they chose the children and doing this also far with impunity. And of course, they're donning their smirks because of it. But the truth lies in the details and these secrets and in the codes, the emails, rubrics, and their secret society. And now the dark is coming to light. Please share this video. And you'll see right here, I'll have a playlist of the most important videos that I've created so far in the Daybell case. I'm doing whatever I can to connect the dots and I'm hoping that the authorities can do the same thing and find what they can to charge them. If you are watching live, I will have a live stream available right after this video and we can all talk about it together. You can also see that link in the description below and I'll also try and get it in the chat in the comments right now. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. There's gonna be more updates. Please like and please share. Thank you so much for watching. See you soon.